Well, God showed up. We're there. We are. We are there. We're towards the end. We are at the end, just about, of our big picture story of the Bible that maybe finally we'll get to use the title for, that it's actually about love. Uh, and, and, and hopefully we'll get there soon. But can I just tell you that a lot of tension, a very large amount of tension has built up over the course of this plot for this story. For starters, there's the age-old problem. How is God going to have life with the people that he's obviously wanted all along when he's put a flaming death machine between them and the tree of life? That's not been solved yet. Number two, why would he even want humanity back I mean, if they're bad enough to have kicked out of Eden, why would he want them back? But also, actually, then, she doesn't even want to come back. Like, the girl has to want to come back to the relationship for that to actually be a thing, but, is, uh, but, but humanity doesn't seem to want to be back together with God. Even more, God does actually have a rescue team to help him with this, and yes, they, they were unfaithful to God too, but it's okay, because God said that he'll still use them to bless the world if they turn to him with their whole hearts, but they won't do that. They can't say genuine sorry, which is God's one non-negotiable for taking them back. And so he won't reinstate them as his team to save the world, even though that's what he wants to happen. The thing is, he's invested a lot in them. See, God's actually attached his name to them. He has staked his reputation on them. And now they are a fifth-rate remnant of a single tribe out of the 12 originals. Uh, They're they're essentially slaves in captivity again to Rome, even though God promised they'd never be slaves again. Looks like Mars and Jupiter must be stronger than Israel's God. Uh, They they don't have a king, a king from the line of David, like was promised. And there's no way for someone from David's line to sort of get to the throne except through lots of Roman legions, a lot of blood in between them and that. And the current king is is a half-Gentile who's Caesar's puppet. Even further, there's one like Moses. There's one like Moses. Moses predicted that that had happened. But the people didn't even really listen to Moses very much, did they? So they'd be like, hey, I'm going to send one like Moses. It's like, well, that didn't work last time. This is not really doing so well. You see, Yahweh God at the moment is a bit of a laughing stock. If you were to, to think of him in the heavenly realms with all the other spiritual beings, of which, of course, he is the, the one creator and the one who made all the rest of them, but, but his reputation there, he's, he's a bit of a laughing stock. And it might not just be because he's weak. There might be something else as well. Have a look at this. Have a look at this. Genesis 12.3, right? <clears throat> this is a pretty incredible promise. I'll bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I'll curse. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now, God formalized that promise with a ritual. Remember, he alone passed through the pieces. So God's signed the contract. It's gone unconditional. It must happen, and God's the only one on whose head that will be. But also, when he then covenanted to to be this rescue team's God, Israel's God, um, they covenanted to be his people as well. So there were some conditions for Israel. And God said, if you disobey, then... The curses will overtake you until you're destroyed. Do you see the difficulty? See, which is true. Will God bless them no matter what with him having connected himself to, to the, the promise, with him having signed the contract, I'll do this no matter what, or will he destroy them because they've sinned? Is he going to punish them like he promised or is he going to bless them like he promised? He can't have it both ways. 
A judge doesn't get to decide whether someone goes to prison based on whether you feel like being nice or promise one thing to the, to the, to the, uh, to the um, defendant. And this is, that's corruption. God's made a public promise of both of these things. Uh, Nahum 1.3, I'm going to punish sin. We got it there. Yep. I'm going to punish sin. Not going to leave sin unpunished. Will not do it. And then again, he affirms, but I'm going to forgive sin. This is what I'm going to do. I'll forgive their wickedness. I'll remember their sins no more. I want you to see this is said so many times. It's not just a technicality. The whole plot of this story, do you remember what the lie was? What's the problem? The problem is God can't be trusted. He's not really good. He's not going to do good things. The whole plot of this story depends on whether what this God says can be trusted or not. If he's a liar, well, Adam and Eve would have been right not to trust him, maybe. Oh, but wait, there's more. We've got tensions. We've got tensions aplenty. Um, there's still the problem of the temple. It's been rebuilt and done up really quite nicely, actually, by the time Jesus is around. But it's full of money changes, full of animals. You can't even hear yourself think, let alone have a meaningful encounter with God there. Uh, the priests who work at the temple, they can't uh, atone for the sins of the people because they're morally compromised themselves. They've got no hope of leading anyone to God because they've never been to Him themselves. And of course, like every other sinful human being, well, they keep on dying. It's quite pesky. You've got to keep replacing them. The sacrifices? Well, what Israel's bringing, it's always the last and the worst. Not the kind of gift that you might bring to uh, a beloved to restore a broken relationship. Not only that, God's actually promised to send His Holy Spirit to sort out a lot of these things, but He hasn't been sighted for a good few hundred years around Israel. And the last time that He was there, He made a bunch of utopian pie-in-the-sky promises through the prophets. You know, total peace and well-being. The poor and the needy will all be cared for. The nations are going to, everyone's going to come and to our nation because of just how good it is here. You guys have seen election campaigns before, right? Okay, you know, we are nowhere near that sort of thing in Israel at this point in time. Like this sounds as realistic as the early cost estimates for the NBN. This is just pie in the sky. So there's a lot that's built up in this plot. There's a lot of resolve. How is God going to make any of that right? In fact, that's actually only a sample of the tensions at play in this story. What about just one last one? What about the deceiver from the garden? What, what incited that snake to, to do that? What's God going to do about that? This, this, this force has successfully brought all of God's plans to bless humanity and to live with them in beautiful relationship to nothing at every point of history so far. No matter what God has done. I mean, you start with number one. Sorry, this is just lots of threads, rope, you get the idea. Um, start, start, start with point number one. Where are we? Where are we? Oh, where's my doobies? There we are. Right. Number one. God's, cre- God's creative generosity. That still didn't fix the problem. God's mercy not killing when that's the punishment. God's promises, God's miraculous saving acts, God's wise rules for life, His patience with their unfaithfulness, his constant requests to return to him and his final warning to them, hold on, evil must end. None of those things have fixed the relationship. The seeking suspicion here is that God is not good and that has overcome all of the measures that God has taken so far throughout the story. Humans continue to put their trust in whatever looks good around them to satisfy them instead of the good God who created all the good things. And so far, God has not seemed to have an answer to any of that. 
Look, it, it is that multi. I'm going to now do my big flick back. Actually, can you go back, go back to the rope for me? You'll just, Tim, you're just so good at this stuff. Um, it, it's a plot with a lot of threads. So this series has been about, about taking this multi-threaded story in the Bible and trying to show you the thickest threads, right? Each thread is made up of lots of little ones, and some we've just had to leave out. We just, and I'll tell you why I'm telling you this. I want you to understand there are different ways to tell this story. See, you might have read, like, the Big Picture Story Bible. You might have read the, the, the God's Big Picture the, or, or, or any number of Gospel and Kingdom, any one of a number of books. And there's different ways to sort of summarize the Bible's story. And what we've tried to do is just to summarize them into three big, sort of really big threads and plait them together. These are our, these are our, oh, it's not, not clicking for me. Don't, yeah, we go. Oh, I don't know if I did it or you did it, but... Um, uh, and with this, this adventure story, will humans ever actually rule the whole world well? A romantic comedy, will God and humanity ever get back together? And the good versus evil, will the hero defeat the forces of evil? That's what we've tried to pull together as sort of the three biggest threads that we've plaited together into this rope. Now, some people will be there and they'll be like, hold on, but what about that bit of the Bible? You haven't even touched that. That's really important. And, and they'd be right. <laughs> okay, that, that's true. I mean, we barely touched the surface of the topic of sacrifice in this series. And think, Whoa, hold on, that's a big biblical theme, isn't it? Well, yes, sorry. Sermons have been long enough as it is, I think. So, like, I can't, we're not going to hit it all. But the point is, this is not the only way to tell the big story of the Bible. But we've tried to pick the big and the main themes and pull them together. And so now we're going to see if God is actually going to himself be able to do the impossible. Now, I don't know, man, I must be running out of batteries or something. Can you flick us forward at least? Uh, no, no, it's back on again. See if God can do the impossible and tie all those threads together. So let's hear the next bit of the story. Now, when Jesus was born, so this is God come to earth as a human. When Jesus was born, he went to Egypt, just like God's son Israel did. And he escaped a king who was trying to kill him by committing mass murder of whatever boys he could find, just like Moses did. And then when he left Egypt and returned back to the promised land, like Moses led Israel to the promised land in Exodus. Unlike Moses has come. Then Jesus goes to John to be baptized, saying sorry to God. Now, lots of other people did that too, for sure. But God promised that when Israel did it with their whole heart, he would then send forth his spirit, which he does. So just as Jesus comes out of the water, the spirit comes down from heaven on him like a dove. And God, and God said from heaven, this is my son, just like it said to Israel, whom I love. Now, Jesus then spends 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness, like his son Israel spent 40 years in the wilderness. And like Israel, he gets tempted, but he trusts God, and so he actually obeys God. Now, armed with the Holy Spirit, armed with the Holy Spirit, um, and having walked where Israel did, Jesus is prepared to begin his public ministry in Israel. And so you think, hold on, what's he going to do? What will it look like? If, if Jesus is going to try and fulfill this story, what does Jesus think Jesus' job is to do that? Well, we get to Luke 4 and we read about Jesus' first ever sermon. These are the first words of Jesus' first ever sermon. Okay? He gets up to the front, he unrolls the scroll, finds the place where it's written, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. 
And he rolls up the scroll, gives it back to the attendant and says, you know that scripture I just read? Yeah, that just got fulfilled. I'm that guy. You know that old story that you guys read about that sort of tells you how things work? I'm the next chapter. It's about me. In fact, I'm the one who's going to pull all the threads together. See, how did Jesus understand his job? Well, by reading the Old Testament. By understanding the story so far. Now, Jesus, therefore, is actually promising that he's the the fulfillment of the prophetic promises, the really big picture ones. And you think, really? Like, that's all of the pie in the sky stuff that we thought were like election promises that are undoable. Well, let's see how he goes along. He starts going around healing people. People who've never been able to see. There you go, you can see, mate. People who can't walk, there you go, you can walk. Then he starts going around casting out demons, evil spirits who were dominating people as the snake had been dominated by the dark evil force. They're losing their power over people. This bad guy is starting to be overturned. Next, Jesus turns his attention to the temple, the unusable temple because it's so corrupt. And he declares, he is going to be a new place where you can meet with God. Come to me. I'll introduce you to God. I'll mediate between you. A new temple, my body, which will be raised after three days. Now, at that point, the temple authorities really have no idea what he means because he's talking about his death on the cross and his resurrection. But they are very concerned by Jesus because he is threatening their power, which seems like a good thing, power and authority. And they trust in that good thing rather than the good God who created it. And so in order to preserve their good thing, to grasp hold of that good thing, they arrest their God on trumped-up charges. But when even false witnesses come up with no dirt on him, they are determined to kill him. Like their fathers before them also shot God's messengers. So when Pilate tries to free the innocent man, you remember when God said, turn back to me or I'll come and strike the land with a curse? Well, you see, this is the moment where we see that actually they don't turn. That they, they don't. Jesus fails. At this point, you see, he doesn't turn their hearts back to God. It's his very presence that hardens their hearts. He comes along, they think that he's going to take away their power. They're scared. They put him on a cross. You see, this is the ultimate moment, the ultimate human rejection of God. This is the nexus of all history. And God dies in dishonor. The fate of creation hung on that moment. And God's people blew it. They failed. It's funny, a couple of days later, some of his female followers are heading to the tomb to tend to his body, and it's not there. He's not there. And then they, they see him. And then Peter sees him. And then the 12 see him. And then more and more see him. And then at one point, 500 of his followers at the same time see him. And finally, Paul, the bloke who wants his whole mission in life is to wipe out the harmful lie that Jesus is alive, sees the risen Jesus. He sees a human who has gone through death and has made it to the other side. There's this newly resurrected human ascends to God's side. And from there pours out the Holy Spirit like he said he would, who in turn regenerates the hearts of thousands of people who hear this message. And so they turn back to their God. And so then they tell more people whose hearts get changed and who tell more people whose their hearts get changed, who tell others, who tell others, who tell others, until it gets to you. 
And I mean that. See, because even if you don't believe that this message is true, or if you've just heard it for the first time just now, that God came to earth to die for humanity, that message made its way through two milliena, through an unbroken chain of people, to you. You just heard it. What happened on that cross? What was he doing? Why did it happen? On the cross, God demonstrated his righteousness. That, he, that he'd done the right thing. See, the thing is, for generations, God did not punish sin. He put up with sin. He put up with it for, for generations until the moment when he... he I'm, I'm going to hold up. I'm going to put up with sin. It'll be, I'm just going to deal with it. I'm going to put up with it. I'm going I'm to excuse it. I'm going to leave it off until the moment when I step into the crosshairs and I tag into humanity. And at that moment, it's released the hounds. I will bear it. He took on full humanity and chose that moment to become sin for us all. And the wrath of God against all sin hit Jesus with full force. And sin was punished fully. But it was the self-substitution of God that means that it fell on him. This is why Romans 3 says that God can and does declare that anyone who turns to Jesus in faith has fulfilled the conditions of his covenant. Uh, Jesus is now where God and humanity can, can meet in peace. Jesus is the priest who does mediation for us and makes friends with God for us. He's got no sin of his own to atone for. He's already you know, beaten death, so he's never going to need replacing because he's going to die. And Jesus' sacrifice on the cross is the sacrifice that put things right between us and him. The Holy Spirit that Jesus sent is now slowly transforming our hearts to be the image of the true Son, Jesus Christ, to be true images of God. In fact, there's now a king physically descended from David who is now ruling the world and he was going to do that forever. All the promises of the prophets of peace and blessing are guaranteed to those who trust Jesus and God defeats the spiritual powers of the world by taking away the one power that they had. That lie that we can't trust God. That meant that we sin and we destroy the relationship and that God is obliged to punish us with death. That's how they hoped to separate God from us. That's how, that's how they wanted to destroy God's plan. But now sin and death are defeated. Uh, they, they've got no power here. Uh, let's see if I can get to the next bits. They've been humiliated and God has won the glorious victory over them. And so God gets the girl. He gets his people. Uh, 2 Corinthians, uh, this is the, oh, sorry, this is the Romans one. Should have been up earlier. The 2 Corinthians 1.10. No matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. It was a bit of a weird whirlwind to throw all of that information out there at you, but I want you to see the number of threads that come together at this one point. It is glittering the myriad ways that the tensions in this plotline are brought together and resolved in Christ. Now, look, my kids uh, are really into gemstones, right? They've been into gemstones for a while now. Have you guys ever done fossicking for gemstones, polishing something up? And I really love the incredible, like the crystal structures right, that you get in gemstones. Because you look at it from this angle and you get one colour. Where are we? There we go. But you look at it and you just turn it slightly and all of a sudden you get a different colour. In fact, there are actually 
certain types of stones where you look at it and it's blue and you turn it and it's green and you turn it and it's red. They're, they're an incredible thing, crystals, the way that they reflect and move light. But, but it's the facets that do that work, the refractions, these faces, different angles that provide that complex beauty. Now, these different bits, these different threads, these different tensions in the story are all angles through which to understand what it was that Jesus did in his life and his death and his resurrection. And they're all true. See, Jesus did more than one thing on the cross. This is the genius of God. Some people might say to you, look, Jesus' death wasn't a punishment for sin. It wasn't, wasn't God pouring his wrath on Jesus. It's just God's victory over the dark forces. And some people might say, no, 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 no. It's an example of the goodness that humans were always supposed to live out. And someone else says, oh, it's, the, it's God paying the price to redeem his bride from slavery to sin, to, to pay the price to release her so she could not sin anymore. Or, or someone else might say, no, 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 it's the one true human showing us that actually God is trustable. I will go, to, that, that even if you trust God to death, good can still come on the other side of death even. God's trustable. That's, 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 is it a good example of that? And you say, well, which one is it? Well, the answer is Yes. It has to be all of them. Because any one of those threats, any one of those threads comes undone and the whole jumper falls apart because something is unresolved. Problems are still there. See, why is Jesus great? Why, why does Ricky Gervais sort of uh, try and pay out Christians by saying, yeah, Christianity, I get it. Jesus is brilliant. Another cookie now? It's like, well, no, Ricky Gervais, you get it. Jesus is brilliant. And you just don't get how. You just don't get how big. This is why we say our message is Jesus is brilliant. Like a gem brilliant. Look, we're done. That's it. Final fight scene's done. It's over. How does all this pan out? Well, we've got the denouement, the last little bit of a story. We'll, work that, that, that we'll take care of the, how that works out next week. But when it comes down to it, I hope you can see here, God took responsibility for his people. God picked it all up. He pulled it all together. Like a master chess player, every bit worked for him, even the bits that were meant to work against him. And like a good father, he took responsibility for what was under his care. The battle wasn't against flesh and blood. It was against dark spiritual powers who wanted to keep God and us apart, keep us at odds with each other. And the solution was stupid. It's a human logic. Like it's very weird that someone dying on a cross might possibly change things, might change your heart or mine. It's certainly strange that the conquering king would conquer through sacrifice, through weakness and vulnerability. But God did the impossible in that. And this is how Jesus does business. Christianity is an upside-down kingdom, the, the, the kingdom that Jesus brought in where it's the one who serves, the one who lays down their life for others, who ends up finding blessing, who ends up blessing everyone around, and who pulls in everyone else, who has not really lived for anyone else, but lived for ourselves, and forgives our sins. He is brilliant. And remember, I, I could, I could, the sermon's been too long already, but I could barely scratch the surface. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, you stored up my sins, but not for the purpose of counting them against me, but for the purpose of transferring them to your ledger so that they would be punished in you, in Christ. God, thank you so much for, for being able to do what Dave, King David could never do and be, and be both just, be both, be, bring about both justice and bring about mercy at the same time. Thank you for being greater than what we could imagine. Thank you for being greater than what we could be. And yet, Lord, it, 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 it can feel like a strange and a silly idea. And yet when we understand the big story, when we see everything else that happened, we see that you actually pulled it off. You resolved every tension that you had left unaddressed. Father, help us to put our trust in Jesus now. That though as humanity we were built and designed for you and had lived for things other than you. Father, thank you for offering us this way to be back with you, to be friends with you this place to go, this temple to worship in, this priest to offer the sacrifice for us, this sacrifice that was acceptable, this king who will live forever, this friend who's by our side, this Holy Spirit who's going to change us into, into the, the likeness of Jesus and the goodness of him and, and the guarantee of future with you. Thank you for all those things you gave us in Christ. And Father, we pray that you would stir not only this mental knowledge of threads of a story, but of a deep love in our hearts for the one who did all that for us to be with us. Father, may we live for him and for no other. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.